Good evening. It's good to be together tonight. I uh, am from Denver, Colorado. What? Woo! 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 Okay. Good. That's good. And uh, Denver's. It feels very similar to this place to me. You know, when I'm here, I get to come in and out of here. I feel like we're like sister cities somehow. Um, which isn't always a good thing. <laughs> but it feels familiar in an interesting way to me. I don't know, I'm not really sure why. And uh, I, I just wanna take a second to say something to you at this church um, before we jump in all the things we'll talk about tonight. Um, you know, when you're in a church, you don't really know what you're doing in that church other than like the things you're doing. You know what I mean? Like some of you are over there like pouring coffee or like stand at the door. There's people that run sound or do all these little things you do and you're like, I don't know, this is just what I do in my church. And I just wanted to give you a little perspective because you might not always have that of how I have heard about and prayed for and been aware of this church for a long time. Um, You probably don't know this, but there are people that look to the things that God is doing in this place, across the country, around the world. And so I, I guess it's important for you to hear that because, you know, there's people that plant churches and lead churches and blah, 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 and they write books, and they're the people that everybody like sort of knows. But I guess I just wanna speak to you as a church and say thank you. There's people in this room that have just given generously. You serve, you pray, you work with kids, you do all these things, right? And I wanna say thank you because that investment is rippling across your city, across the country, and across the world. And you don't know that, do you, when you're just doing your little thing. But what our little thing is always becomes something else when it's in worship to Jesus and it's in a local church. And so I just wanna thank you personally as a pastor from out of town. And, and I wanna commend your leaders to you. You know, I've spent some time with some of these folks in different contexts and, and they really like you. <laughs> like they talk about you and they pray for you. And I, I guess I just wanna say that because there's a lot of professional Christians in this thing we do that are kind of in some kind of job and they're just doing whatever they're doing. And I, I just want you to hear clearly from the outside, the people that have been given to you to lead are a trust to you. They're people that you are to pray for and to care for and to steward because they've been given to you by God. And they do love you and they pray for you. And so thank you for your investment in this city. Thank you for your investment in our country and a lot of people are watching, so don't mess up. Because <laughs> it'll be like really public. <laughs> and it'll be, it'll be just really awkward for like a lot of people. So if you could just keep on not messing up. That would be, would be a starting point. And then keep investing. Uh, truly, um, it's, a, it's a funny, it's a bit of a, 
it's a bit of a joke, but it's, it's just not a joke at all. So just, <laughs> just don't, don't mess up. Uh, tonight, I, I, I realize you don't know me at all, so it's a great, it, it is kind of, it really is a great trust to invite me, so thank you. And, um, and I thought maybe it'd be helpful to hear just a little bit of my story that will relate to what I want to share with you tonight, because, you know, what we're going to talk about tonight isn't an academic proposition for me. It's not just a set of thoughts that I think are helpful, but really the things I'll talk about tonight shape, like, the entirety of my life. Um, I was not raised in church in any way. I didn't go to church at all. I, the only memories I have of church are like I went to a funeral once that I can barely remember in a church. And the, the reason I remember it so dramatically is because there was, um, I remember looking at my mom and saying, there's a naked man hanging on the wall, bleeding. It's like, he's, it's like a torture thing. If you don't know what I'm referring to, that's called the cross. And I, I was so unchurched that just the vision, I mean, if you just considered how grotesque and horrible that image is without any context, I was just like, why in the world would that be art anywhere? I remember that vividly. And so, I mean, that just gives you a context. Like I had no anything. And there was a guy that I knew who I played basketball with. This is in high school. And um, I learned later that he'd been praying for me for years with his friends. Who, uh, the reason he was praying for me was because he'd heard a, at a youth group talk that God can save anyone. <laughs> and you should pray for the person you think is furthest from God. <laughs> and so he prayed for me. And, and he wrote my name down at this youth group thing and, and at this camp and like hundreds of kids, he pulled these names out at random, they pull out Jay Pathak. So hundreds of little Baptist kids write Jay Pathak <laughs> in the front of their Bible. And I, you know, it was like 300 kids at this camp and I'm sure at least seven or eight prayed. And, and I, I, I don't, come on. You know. But those seven and eight turned out it worked because he, he invited me to a youth group meeting. Um, he didn't say it was a youth group meeting. He said it was a party with hot chicks. <laughs> and when you're, when you're, you know, a young man, it's all it takes. You don't need anything else. So I went and uh, it wasn't a party that I've been to before. Um, there was Mountain Dew and pizza and people were singing to one wall. <laughs> and I can remember it because I remember thinking, this is very strange. <laughs> it was like a karaoke thing. Um, if, you don't, if you don't know what I'm referring to, we were doing it a moment ago. And if you're not in church, it's very strange. Um, it's not a thing you do anywhere else, really. So I remember we kind of file into these chairs and people are singing and I'm thinking, this is the very worst party <laughs> I've ever been to, I've ever thought of. There were hot chicks, to be fair. 
So that was the cell and it was true. And then after some of the singing part, people sat down much like you're doing now. And this guy got up and just started saying things. And I thought, okay, I kind of know what this is. This is like a class kind of thing. And in the middle of talking, he stopped and he said this, he said a set of phrases. He said, everything that is whispered in the corners will one day be shouted from the rooftops. And everything that is done in the dark will one day be brought to the light. And these two little phrases hit me like, like, a, like, like someone was squeezing my body. I, I remember the feeling. Uh, it, it felt as though like the room just kind of disappeared and somebody was squeezing my chest. And then when he stopped talking, everything went back to normal. When he stopped that, those lines, it went back to normal. And I kind of looked around like, did I just have a stroke? Or like, what was, that was weird. I'd never experienced anything like it. And as he finished, he said, you know, I quoted some things from the Bible tonight. I quoted this thing on light and dark. And, the, and I went, that's in the Bible, wow. And he said, I have these Bibles, if anyone would like to have a Bible. And I was like, sure, yeah, I'd like, I guess I want one of those. So I walked up and I said, like a Bible. And there was a stack of them on the stage. I could see, and he's standing in front of the stage. And he says, great, we're all going to McDonald's, I'll get you a Bible there. I said, but it's, is it a lot like the one <laughs> right behind you? There's a stack of them. And he said, yeah, 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 it, it'll, be, it'll be one of these, but I'll give it to you at McDonald's. And I was like, but I would like it now. I just like it now. And he's like, no, I'll give it to you at McDonald's. And even then, without knowing anything, I knew this was a setup. And as I walked in, he's at one of the little plastic tables and he's got the Bible there. And I thought, that's probably mine. And I walked over and he said, sit down. And I sat down and he said, do, do you know if you Literally, right, right out of the gate, have you been born again? And I said, I don't, I don't know what we're doing anymore. <laughs> I don't know what this is. I don't know what we're doing. And he said, well, okay. He said, you know, this is the word of God. And I said, okay. He said, do you believe that? That like God wrote this book, these are the words of God? I said, that specific book? He said, yeah. I said, that looks like it came from a factory. <laughs> that doesn't look like something God wrote. He said, well, yeah, it, did. it technically came from a factory, but it's like these things. And I go, so people wrote down things and they pass it on. Okay, we go into like an hour long thing where I just argue with him for like an hour straight. And how do you know who wrote that and hasn't been translated? And do you know if that's the right translation? And then some guy and the da 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 da. And finally he just goes, you, could, you can just have it. And I leave. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I, I'm still friends with this guy, and he describes how he went home that night, looked at his wife and said, this kid destroyed me in, in a McDonald's in front of our youth group. I don't think I'm cut out for this. I'm not qualified. I, I, I mean, I'm not ready, um, which might be, it might, might be true. And so I started reading the Bible, and if you've not read the Bible, it's a very, very strange book. It doesn't read like a normal book. And as I started reading it, I realized that I had gotten the wrong book because I knew this was the Christian book. I knew I was at a Christian meeting. And this was a, this was a Jewish book. 
And I thought, I must have gotten the wrong book because in the religious Bible, like book factory, I got the Jewish book and not the Christian book. Not knowing it all goes together. <laughs> so I'm reading around, long about, around, all about a lot of stuff with Jews. And I keep waiting for the Christian part. And it just, it doesn't come. If you haven't read it in a while, it doesn't come for like a really long time. It's a lot of book. And so I just started skipping because it was just like, I think there's another thing. So when I get to the Gospels, and Jesus is really interesting. I mean, really interesting. I mean, just on the face, if you've not read the Bible, when you read the Gospels, they are really interesting. I mean, the things that he's doing and the claims that are made and the teaching, it's compelling. And it was really compelling. And then I end that little bit and I go to flip the page and he's, he's being born again. So that was confusing. This isn't going in a way I understand. So I read about him doing a lot of things again and then he's, he dies again and you flip the page and he's being born again four separate times this happens felt a little repetitive strange way to tell the story but I'm gonna go with it read through a whole bunch of really weird stuff I found acts to be very, very interesting, and yet very strange. And this, about this point, it's about a year later or so, and I would just kind of open this up and flip through it, you know? And it felt, it felt a little illicit, if I'm honest. You know, my family didn't have any faith, and the way we knew Christians is you made fun of them uh, because they were just kind of dumb. Like, there are smart people, and those people do smart things, and then there's dumb people, and they need God. So they make, made up a thing to believe in so they could feel better about themselves. That was kind of my basic worldview. So some of you are like super offended. By the way, I'm a pastor now. So just hang in there, hang in there. Something's about to happen. And some of you are like, that's, that's the word. I'm, so I'm reading then in Romans and one night, like any other night, I'm reading in Romans, and I read Romans 7, which is the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The things I want to do, I do not do. Well, you know, who will save me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. And I have this strange experience that I'd had a year earlier that I'd had in the Christian karaoke meeting happens again. This weird squeezing of my body happens again and I'm suddenly aware there's someone else here with me and I wasn't sure that was a great thing it felt a little scary if I'm honest and if you aren't a Bible scholar the very next verse is um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law the spirit of life has came to set me free from the law of sin and death and it dropped I went wait a minute 
So this story, all of these things are about being free. Because that thing that I read just a moment ago about I do things I don't wanna do and I can't do the things I wanna do, that is true. I don't know what any of this stuff is, but that's true. That's everybody I know. And now you're saying somehow, because of what Jesus did, he died, he rose, I don't quite know how it works, but somehow that's supposed to bring freedom. I am in. And I had this weird sense like someone was looking at me like, The problem is I didn't know what to do. So I, I remember this, I just slid off to the side of my bed and I prayed what I think may have been the first prayer that I remember ever praying and I said, God, if there's a way you can take that and turn it into this, I will serve you the rest of my life, I'll give you everything. And what happened next is very difficult to describe. I can't quite describe it, but what happened next is it felt like someone started to fill the room with warm jello. And it was surrounding my body. And I was breathing it in and I was breathing it out and I was sobbing. And it felt like someone was cleansing me. And after this happened for like an hour, it occurred to me that I was probably having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) So I tried to pull myself together shook it off, tried to go to bed, but I woke up multiple times a night crying. I woke up in the morning crying. So I went to school crying and I found that kid, that kid that took me to the meeting a year before in the hallway. I knew I would pass him between like two periods. Remember that in high school? You'd be like, I know I'm gonna see that guy then and I can see him and I'm like, hey, and and he goes, what? I, I pull him aside and I start crying, which is the thing he'd never seen me do. And he goes, what's wrong? I said, I've been reading the Bible. He goes, what? I go, I've been reading the Bible. He goes, what, what, when, how? I go, remember I got a Bible at the thing you took me to. He goes, you've been reading it this whole time? I go, this whole time, but not all the time, just here and there. Anyway, listen, this thing happened last night and I'm reading this and I'm reading that and then there's like this jello and I can't stop crying and I'm like, just, just, just coming out of my face. You know, I don't know what to say. And as I'm talking, I watch his countenance change. And he goes, I know what's happened to you. And I go, what? I'm thinking I'm having a nervous breakdown. He goes, no, I know what's happening to you. I go, okay, what? He goes, you're a charismatic. (laughs) I didn't know what it meant. But I could tell it was bad. (laughs) It had gone wrong. And I went, okay. And he said, listen, man, from now on, don't talk about the warm jello or any of it. All you say is, I I gave my life to Jesus and I've been born again. And I'm telling you, standing in the hallway, when he says, and tell people you've just been born again, It's like my mind zooms backward and I'm like, that guy in the freaking McDonald's got me. It was a very long play, but he got me. In a very real sense, 
My entire life has been lived out from the side of that bed. In a very real sense. God took a hold of my life. He listened to that prayer. And I don't honestly have a good way of describing my life, like what I've done and what I do and what I'm doing outside of encounters of that kind. And it was confusing to me to then find myself amongst people who read books that described encounters, like the one I had had, but were saying, it's just best not to talk about that. That kind of thing is a little weird and it doesn't kind of fit with like our Christian experience. So it would just be easier to just act like, you know, just don't do that part. The problem is it was my actual story. It was the way I came into life with God. But you know, I try to be a good soldier. I'm like sitting with these folks and I'm like, I don't know, I guess you just read a lot and you try to like, you know, be better. I can do that, I guess. If those are the rules, I don't know. I, my whole life's been changed. I guess this is how we do things. And you know, I'm at this thing and they wear certain kinds of clothes and they sing weird songs. I didn't even understand what the words meant. Um, they were in, the church was in, I think their sixth year in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> and so I'm like, I guess this is what we do, you know? I guess I'm in. And you know, my memory of the days in that church are very, very sweet. Truly, they are. Uh, but they mostly involve hugging people with sweaters <laughs> and potlucks in the basement. And it was years later that I start chasing this girl around um, because she was beautiful and she loved Jesus. And she could tell this guy is very, very clueless. Uh, I, I tricked her into a date, and on the date, because I knew she loved Jesus, I thought I gotta do like a, some Jesus stuff, but I don't have a lot. So I remember saying to her, um, I really like this guy, Job. <laughs> and she was very kind to me, and said, I like Job too. And then she took me to this church, her church, that was called the Vineyard. And when I walked into the Vineyard, they described experiences like I had had, as though they were normative. And they didn't find ways to highlight the parts of the Bible where encounters are happening in black marker. That's called crossing them out, if you didn't, you just, black markers, yeah. But they were willing to talk about those and talk about what does that mean for our life today? And I guess to this day, um, I'm always a little surprised when I find, I bump into people or groups of people that are like, I don't understand, you know, could, could this be real? Uh, the simple answer is yes. And I guess I'd like to just look at a passage of the scriptures with you and maybe try to lower some of those boundaries or even try to get you to think a little bit differently in your mind uh, to where you might allow God to meet you in these days that we're together in a way that I would like to warn you ahead of time can transform your life permanently. 
Acts chapter 2 is the scripture that everyone knows who studied said things. But I want to point out a few things that I think are really interesting about it. Of course, this is after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then the ascension, which is worth reading in Acts 1 up to this, but I don't have adequate time, and you don't want to hear me talk that long. So let's read Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, question, which sound? Is that the sound of the wind? Is that the sound of the tongues? Is that both sounds? Uh, Different people will tell you different things. Not sure, but it was a sound. Something makes the humans around start going, what is going on over there? A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? A bunch of words that are very difficult to pronounce follow. (laughs) That describe these places. That, you know, you should just give a shot in your own mind. And then you'll know why I'm not going to read them. I know the last one, which is, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Good question. However, some of them made fun of them instead and said they've had too much wine. Something about what they're doing is making them behave very strangely in such a way that they're like, this is just weird. I don't know what this is, but yet we can hear. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of interesting theological questions to ask here. Like, is the miracle that they can hear or is the miracle that they're speaking? Is it both? Uh, There's different people that would make different arguments about that. What does this possibly mean? What it means at the very least is it's a fulfillment of Acts chapter one, verse eight, where Jesus says, wait for the gift that I will give you. The Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you and then you will be my witnesses. You'll be given power to do this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The thing that they were told to do, they did, and the Spirit is poured out. And it seems to be indicating that this now move of God is intended to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Because the very first second it happens, languages are being jumped across. Babel is being reversed. God is redeeming and restoring and renewing the world in one moment. And it's a symbol, it's a picture of how this gospel will spread across the earth by the power of the Spirit. And you and I are witnesses of that to this very day. Because what we know for a fact is they don't do this because they're so bright. 
because they're so clever, because they're so strategic, because they are from the best families or went to the best schools. We know that's not true. We know that this story, this thing that's been carried on to you and me must be carried by a miracle for it makes no sense that these people in this way turn the world on its ear. It's a miracle. And yet this miracle tells us some things about what it's like when God comes near to people. Notice that all of the things here are experiential. They're things that are seen, what looks like tongues of fire. There's some kind of sound, which is the wind and the languages. Uh, They feel something, and they start to behave oddly. Like, this isn't a cognitive experience. This isn't like, you know, I'm thinking some new thoughts. This is like a power, a presence that is so immersive that it takes over their very bodies and does so in such a way that other people are watching and going, something's up. Uh, in other words, this is, this is inherently visible. <laughs> and it's a thing you can feel. It isn't just an idea you believe. Now, some people will tell you that this was quite an interesting moment, one that sort of stands apart in history, and in some ways it does. In some ways it does. And people that would make that argument would say, well, it's because Jesus died, he rose again, and now this outpouring of the Spirit is sort of just like a sign. It's like a, it's like a thing that happens to verify that this death and this resurrection is sort of somehow verified by God so that they're equipped to preach this gospel. That's true, by the way. Uh, There is power on these very normal people. If you keep reading the text, Peter, same Peter, who's not done great just a minute ago, pops up and preaches a sermon. I I imagine even his guys watching are like, whoa, (laughs) this is not the same Peter. I don't know what this is, but we like it. And the sermon he preaches, of course, shows how the prophets of old had told about this moment and how this Jesus is the Messiah they've been looking for. And he died and he rose again and there's power on this gospel and thousands give their life to Jesus in that moment. So it really does kind of work. And I think it's worth pausing just for a moment to say that that moment is the moment that hopefully we continue to live in that the job and the purpose and the meaning of many of our lives as followers of Jesus is to proclaim this gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, ascended. The power of the Spirit poured out and one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is our gospel, it is true. It has happened in history. And it is our job as the people of God, not just to receive this gospel, but proclaim it. Jesus Christ pierced through the veil of death. He showed that there is a way through. And that means that everybody, everybody, everybody can have confidence, does not need to be afraid in the face of death, for he showed a way through. And he says he showed a way through. I mean, he was talking to the guys before he dies. He says, guess what? 
I'm gonna go and I'm gonna prepare a place, but don't worry, you're gonna be coming too. That's assurance, he comforts them. And that same comfort is true for all who have claimed and follow Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. But he also says another thing. He says, I pierced a way through, and that means we can go through, we follow him through death into a new kind of life, but it means also that that membrane that was pierced, that kind of hole that was poked through eternity, here's the other thing that's amazing that he teaches. Heaven breaks backward. We don't just have a way to move into an everlasting life, but that everlasting life is breaking backward into this age. That kingdom of God that we will one day live in where there'll be no pain and no sickness and no fear and no doubt and no worry. That place, that presence where God makes all things new, that power is coming back through by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is not a small thought. This is worth a lot of consideration. Uh, I mean, many of us have been taught that really what Jesus is doing is trying to get you to heaven. And I'd like to say, yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm, I agree. But I would say that the bulk of the New Testament is arguing that God is trying to get heaven into you. He's not just trying to get you into heaven. He's trying to get heaven into you. He's trying to bring the presence and the power of his spirit to take over every part of who you are. And let's be really clear about this. It isn't like we're being brought into some alternate, fake, flimsy world of like Jesus stuff. This world is what is flimsy. This world is what is corrupt. This world is what is broken. When the kingdom of God comes by the power of God, by the spirit of God, you are encountering reality. And that reality reorients every part of how you work. You are not going into some strange netherworld. You are living, we are living in a strange netherworld. It's wispy and broken and corrupt and sad and disoriented. And when the presence of God comes, the power of his kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are receiving ultimate reality that you will live in forever and ever. You're getting tastes of it. It's not fully here though, right? We're in the now and the not yet. It's not all here, but man, you, you experience it from time to time and it's normative and should be expected for believers not just to pray, but receive and live within that reality. It's ultimate reality. Um, I love, 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 love the Alpha Course. I love the Alpha Course. I think Alpha is such a great uh, experience. If you've never done Alpha, especially if you're here and you're not really sure what you think about all this stuff with Jesus and really living your life with him, you, you gotta do Alpha. If you're here and that's where you're at, I mean, I'm amazed because it's uh, Friday night and <laughs> I think you'd be doing something else. But it's possible you're here because you've been drawn by God. So Alpha is really worth doing. We run Alpha in our church. And I love it because I bring my friends that don't have any life with Jesus. And there's this one guy that I was spending time with 
in Alpha, this uh, guy named Alex. Alex. Alex is a hardened atheist, like intense atheist, but he came because his wife made him come because she was doing a mops thing we were doing and she'd encountered Jesus. And she's like, you need to encounter Jesus. And he's like, yeah, that's like a Easter bunny kind of thing. She's like, but just come to Alpha and eat the meals and hang out. And so he was, and he enjoyed it. And he would come and he would just fight with people, <laughs> which I could tell he enjoyed. He, he's an engineer by training, a good engineer. And so everything was sort of like worked out. And you know engineers, you know, they like spreadsheets. I just offended some engineers. Uh, you're, it's okay. You're, it's, we need all the body. And so he's that kind of guy. And I'm not really that kind of guy. I'm a philosophy guy. And anyway, so, you know, we're, we're doing all the things. And it doesn't seem like it's going very well for him, but he keeps coming, and I'm not really sure why. And then we get to the Holy Spirit weekend. And I'm teaching the first talk, and he grabs me in the break, and he says, I can tell something's happening. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're crescendoing. I think you're going to make us do something. <laughs> and I want to be clear, I'm not going to do it. And I said, that's fine. He says, okay, I just want to be clear. I'm totally fine with that, man. The very next talk is to, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I do all the things. I'm being filled with the Spirit. And what you do at the end of that section, you've never been Alpha, and maybe you don't do it this way, but it's the way you should do it. <laughs> and he, at the end of that, you say, would anyone like to be filled with the Spirit? Why don't you just stand, and we're going to pray, and people will pray for you. Alex is right in front of me. And as soon as I say you can stand, and we'll pray for you to be filled with the Spirit, he pops to his feet. <laughs> and I walked over to him right away, of course, because people start praying. I go, what are you doing? He said, yeah, I told you I wasn't going to do anything, but you know what? I'm already here. <laughs> Why not? And I said, so Alex, do you want to be filled with the Spirit? He goes, okay. And I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't think it works like that. I, I don't know. Maybe it does, but I think you kind of have to want a thing. He goes, well, I'm not sure. I'm like, well, then you should just sit down. It's fine, you know? And he goes, no, I mean, yeah. I go, now that, again, I don't know that we... <laughs> got all the way there. Um, it's okay. You don't have to do anything. You told me just a second ago you weren't going to do anything. And he's like, I know. But, and then he kind of quiets and so he says, you know what? If this is real, I really do want this. I said, well, let me pray for you. And I put my hand right on his chest and I said, Alex, be filled with the Spirit. And he fell to his knees and he started sobbing like, like, a, like, like, like a kind of embarrassing way, you know. <laughs> Not like a gentle cry, like a... And, and he does this for a while. And I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where you pray for people and that happens, but at some point it gets awkward because you're not sure if you should stay there. Have you ever had this? You're just standing there and they're... And eventually you just kind of... I just walked away. Because there's no, there's no rule, you know? So I just left. And then... It kind of, that goes for a while, and then we're going to go to lunch. And he, I, I'm coming back down the hall, you know, because he'd been there a while. And he goes, Jay, I got to talk to you. I'm like, I bet you do. <laughs> and he grabs me, and I'll never forget it. I mean, and I've seen lots of these kinds of things, but I'll never forget this one because the way he said it. He looks at me and he goes, Jay, this is real. And I went, I know. 
And he goes, no, 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 not like the way you mean it. <laughs> I mean, it's real. I go, I know. And he goes, no, 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 no. And now I'm a little offended. Like, what do you think I've been doing? Like, I'm like, come on. And he goes, no, no. And this is the phrase. He goes, this is real like gravity is real. And I was like, that's true. I mean, listen, some of you right now as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit is starting to engage you. And you're allowing yourself to just ask, could this really be real? Like the way gravity is real. Like is these encounters, this way of living life, immersed in the presence and the power of the Spirit, is that real? Is it really real? So here's the question I wanna ask you, and then we're gonna try some things. Question I wanna ask you is simply this. How much of the Holy Spirit do you want? How much? I mean, do you want to be fully consumed and immersed in his presence? And, and you should pause for a moment. You should pause for a moment. You should consider what it means to say, I really do want God to take control of my life. I really want him to immerse every part of me. A.W. Tozer, the pastor, would ask this question in a very particular way that I found helpful. He would ask, do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? See, when we, when we talk about possession, we normally mean demonic, right? I mean, if, if I said, do you want to be possessed? You would be like, no. You need the qualifier because the normal way is, oh, that's a demon. No, Jay, I do not want a demon. So we normally kind of know what that is, right? And what, we, what do we mean when we say you're possessed by a demon? What we mean is some demonic personal force is inhabiting like your body, your mind, your spirit in a way that it's influencing you. It's kind of pushing you around, right? That's what we think it, when we read these things in the New Testament, we hear stories like it's knocking you around, it's, it's shifting how you think, how you feel, what your reactions or your interpretations are. See, we have a category for demonic possession. Do you have a category for Holy Spirit possession? that the Holy Spirit now begins to do similar kinds of things I just said, kind of push your emotions around, push your mind around, maybe even push your body around, uh, help you to interpret reality differently, that your eyes work different, your relationships work different, your affections, your emotions, the ways that you interpret relationships or even information is now read through this immersed sense of God's personal presence. Now listen, uh, here's what's horrible about preaching and doing church things is everybody knows the right answer. You know, I say, do you wanna be possessed by the Holy Spirit? You're like, yes, 
You know the right answer. Nobody's like, no thanks. You know where you are. You know what we're doing. This is the freaking Holy Spirit conference. You know, I mean, come on. We, we, it's a little bit unfair. I, I know that you know the right thing to say. And so I, I just want you to think just again, just another second and realize what it is to say yes to that. Uh, Paul the Apostle says in Ephesians 5, he says it like this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't do this other stuff. Be filled instead with the Spirit. And that word filled is a really hard word to translate. If you have different versions of that, they translate a lot of different ways. It could be translated, be filled and keep being filled. It's also in the imperative form, meaning it's a command. Be filled. And it's related in a strange way, the way that the verb works, it's related to the activities. So something about doing these activities fulfills the command and it should be happening all the time. In other words, being filled with the Spirit isn't a one-time kind of thing. It's a way that you live in obedience to kind of staying immersed. I know this is complicated because some of the illustrations start to break down when you say be filled and you're like, well, I was filled, did I leak? I don't understand how that works. It's, 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 it's harder to explain. It's sort of like walking in, living in, immersed with, drenched by, like a fire that's being stoked. And as Paul describes it, he's saying, here's some ways that you watch that happen. You, you sing songs, you're with people. You enjoy one another and something about that stokes this way of living where you're walking in the presence and then the power of the Spirit. But he says, but there's these other things that really don't help. There's ways that things get quenched and confused. Where this sort of immersive experience, you can sort of just sort of step out of from time to time. But you should live in this way, stay immersed actively in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask again, do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? Dallas Willard, as he considers this text, another one says this. He says, um, he does this great illustration. He says, what if I told you I could give you a pill? If you took this pill, you would stop being angry. It would just stop it. Or if I gave this pill and you would suddenly never lust again, it would be gone. Would you take the pill? Now, of course, People who deal with anger, some of you might deal with anger in this room, you say to yourself, that would be awesome. Pause just a moment. The truth is, you probably get something for that anger. It's a way that keeps you safe. It's a way that makes you feel like you're in control. You get something for lust, right? Like, look at this room. There are beautiful humans in this room. There's just a beautiful, there's a lot of beautiful people here. And there's something that happens when enough beautiful people are together, there's a, like a kind of an energy, you know? <laughs> you know? Some of you feel it. That, some of you, that's why you're here tonight. <laughs> there's like a feel to it, you know, where you kind of come in like, yeah. Hey. What's up, girl? Hey. Right? All that stuff. It 
creates a sort of feel. What if you didn't have that? What if that didn't work anymore? What if you're that thing that it kind of drives you, right? It might make you want to do certain kinds of things. It makes you want to make certain kinds of money or have a certain kind of job. What if that doesn't drive you anymore? Who would you even be? What would make you get up in the morning? What would make you put clothes on? What would make you feel like you matter in the world if you weren't living your life just to get married? Oh, oh, that, that one got a little too real. Do you feel the temperature drop just a little bit? Just too, whoa, 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 now you're meddling, pastor. What, what if that wasn't it? What if it wasn't so you could be in control? And God said, I, I'd like to be in control. Do you? Have you? Said you can have all of me? My intellect? my relationships, my gifts, my money. Do you want to be immersed, filled, and possessed by the Holy Spirit? I'll finish with this. Would have been a little bit ago now, but when I first moved, not to the house I live in now, but I moved into another house, we were praying for our neighbors because Jesus commands that. All the law and the prophets are summed up in this, to love God and love your neighbor. And, and I thought we should pray for our neighbors and get to know them. And one day my wife has a dream and in the dream we're praying for my neighbor across the street. This happened to be the neighbor that didn't want to talk to us. And so we were walking outside and we saw her in the driveway and I just said, hey, you know, can we talk to you a minute? Sure. And Danielle, my wife, said, I had a, a dream and in the dream you were sick and you hadn't told anyone and we were praying for you. And she burst into tears and said, I have a cancer diagnosis. I haven't told my kids, I haven't told my friends, I haven't told anybody. We don't know what to do. And we said, could we pray for you? So we pray for her. But a week later, she's ringing the doorbell and we open the door and she just lunges through the door and hugs us and says, it's all gone. I'm completely better. And she literally, I mean, it's like right out of the Bible. She's like, what must I do? And I'm like, do you know Jesus? She says, I don't know Jesus. So we have a whole thing. She gives her life to Christ. Then her oldest son gives his life to Christ because he sees the story. Then her middle son gives his life to Christ. The youngest son is like, nah. And the dad's like, literally the dad, I walk over to their house because now we're like hanging out except for he's not sure what he thinks about that. And he looks at me and says, whatever it is you're doing, I'm not doing it. I said, okay, that's fine. And so now it's been like another two years and then the youngest son gives his life to Christ. And so now we're, you know, we're like years later from her being miraculously healed. And the youngest son's gonna get baptized in our church. And the dad has never come to church, but now he comes for this baptism. Now, I'll never forget it. We're there in the front, and he's there. And I go, dude, you came to watch him get baptized. He's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just me now, I guess. So <laughs> thought I should at least come. And I went, that'd be great. So we start the thing. 
And in the talk, I used an illustration. I know it's not super PC, just to warn you ahead of time. I used the illustration of Cortez, where Cortez, you know, is going to go and commit genocide effectively. That's why it's not a great illustration. And the guys all want to run away, but instead, he, what he says is, nobody's allowed to go back, and he burns the boats in the bay. And he says, well, now there's nowhere to go. Can we go fight? And I said, baptism is in being immersed in the death of Christ, rising to new life in Christ, and you burn the boats. It's all for him. And that's what we're doing when we baptize you today. And so we had a bunch of people we baptized, and then I go over and I'm worshiping at the end, because you know, sing songs and do the thing. And all of a sudden, somebody taps me on the shoulder, and it's this guy, Rick. And Rick looks at me, and he goes, is it too late for me to be baptized? Now here's the thing, it has been years I've prayed for him and he's been really kind of hard on me. And I went, what? <laughs> and he goes, okay, is, is it too late for me to get baptized? I go, what, what? I mean, I can't, I'm, it's like, you know, you know when something's happened in your mind and you can't get it right away? I go, what again? And he gets a little frustrated and tears start to come down his face and he goes, it's time to burn the boats, man. Will you just baptize me? And I'm telling you, I was ruined because I was like, he got it. He got it in a way a lot of people that I know that already know Jesus don't get it. I mean, so many people have said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus because, you know, gosh, I don't want to go to hell and I, gosh, I think it's kind of true and I don't know, I kind of have a plan for my life and I'm kind of hoping God will just help me out with it. And if I just kind of do enough things, he'll help me out. And I'd just like to suggest to you that Jesus is not a means to an end. His presence is not a means to an end. Jesus is an end in himself. He is the great treasure. He is the pearl of great price. He is more beautiful than you can imagine. And he will, get, he will take everything from you and give you more than you've ever deserved. But you must yield. You must surrender. You have to say you can have it all doesn't negotiate very well. He just doesn't. He just says, I'll take it all. I'd like that relationship, please. Can I have that one? I'd like to have that, that thing over there, that thing that you feel so embarrassed about, you're ashamed about. I'd, I'd like to have that. Can I have that? You know, that insecurity, that fear. I'd like to have that. Can I have that? 